Hey, did you know this podcast has a Patreon? At patreon.com slash scarysundayscaries, you can support the podcast for as little as a dollar and get early access to episodes and join in on community posts with all the other hosts and me. Uh, patreon.com slash scarysundayscaries. Get out there and do it. Thanks. Uh, all right, but y'all, let me do this bit real quick before we uh, start the intro. Uh, so I'm going to record this and do some filter over it to make it sound cool. Because of the obvious I'm threat. Rolling. Wait, ready? Because of the obvious threat to untold numbers of citizens due to the crisis that is now developing, Sunday Scaries will remain on air at day and night. This podcast and hundreds of other podcasts throughout this part of the country are pooling their resources through an emergency network hookup to keep you informed of all developments. Hey, it's Sunday Scaries. <laughs> it's a podcast about horror movies where each week we take the edge off by doing a deep dive into a specific scary movie, trying to find connections between that film and other movies within the genre. In this mini-series of episodes, we're discussing some of our favorite zombie movies and where they came from. Um, Travis, I'm hanging out with Daniel on the West Coast. What's up? This is, I guess, Scary Sunday's West. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, today we're joined again by our resident cinematography expert, the illustrious and experienced director of photography, Mr. Jamario Washington. Oh, wow. You added some stuff to that. I know. I'm going to add a nickname. You're illustrious now. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, illustrious man. felt like the appropriate adjective Thank today. You. Thank you. Um, and we've been talking about zombie movies for the last few weeks, and now we're finally getting to the big old granddaddy zombie movie Zombie genre, father, granddaddy, zombie, zombie genre, granddaddy of them all. You can almost call it like the genesis of the modern day zombie films. What we think of as modern day modern genre day zombie, films, yeah. right, for sure. What did we watch, guys? Night, Night of the Living, Night Dead. Of the Living Dead. Nice, we got it. That was, that was actually amazingly sick. Over the- Night of the Living Dead. The dead who live on living flesh. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. The living whose bodies are the only food for these ungodly creatures. Night of the living dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Holy shit. That was such a catastrophe. <laughs> you handed it like a chump, though. I had to, like, well, it's so Zoom just, like, it, it just, it, uh, Zoom just pirated my core audio to itself. Oh, great. Now we got dog for Yeah, dog walking by. <laughs> this recording is a catastrophe. I like how uh, it's starting. I know. It's starting <laughs> off great, man. All right. So, hey, we're back. That was a great trailer. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. That, that is definitely a very 1960s trailer Absolutely. that goes on for three minutes, shows you the entire fucking movie, and then says the title eight times. Uh, it's kind of awesome, though. Like, I forgot that that was the, uh, that the title card or the like poster image is that body like on the second yeah. floor. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally forgot that that's what they use because it's, it's a very short part of the movie yeah. that also like... I was having so many revelations as I was watching this today of stuff that I never really like factored into the movie before um, and other questions that I had about like the background. But before we get into that, uh, Night of the Living Dead. Uh, so a group of individuals take refuge in an abandoned house uh, when dead bodies begin reanimating and walking the earth in search of human bodies to devour. Uh, Night of the Living Dead. This is like the original zombie movie. Uh, George Romero, 1968. He wrote and directed this. or He wrote it, co-wrote it with uh, his friend John A. Russo. 
and uh, directed it, did all the camera work, uh, got together with a bunch of buddies, uh, and decided to make his debut feature film. Um, Image 10, the name of the production company that's listed at the beginning of the movie, is called Image 10 because it's literally him, Jonathan Russo, and then eight of their other friends who, to get initial photography started, they all pitched in $600. And back in 1968, with that $6,000, they started getting some shots, shooting some initial stuff, and then showing their reels to people and being like, hey, we want to make this movie. Can you help us make this happen? And then a couple of thousand bucks at a time, they eventually got up to the 125000 ish dollars that they had to uh, to fund this movie and, and made one of the most influential scary movies of all time and probably like the the one of the last installments of the golden age of the drive-in era that has uh, stuck around and has um, many other elements of cultural significance for lots of different reasons that we'll get to here in a second. Uh, but yeah. Definitely a good... Uh, it kind of took them out of the dark ages of popcorn mm. kind of horror films. Oh, yeah. You know, this was a nice punch in the face for uh, critics and audience members. So, yeah. Yeah, a very important movie for in, in many different ways. Uh, I I watched this for the first time probably like five or six years ago. Uh, I watched, I definitely saw it in college. I did, This wasn't something that I caught when I was like a younger kid. It was something that I like actively sought out because I wanted to learn more about the first the first ish zombie movie and Romero's first movie. Um, I assume y'all had both seen this before, right? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, my yeah. dad introduced it to me. So, oh, that's cool. Well, I mean, it's a le- black lead. Yeah, it's a. <laughs> my dad's like, hey, come well, watch this. How old were you when you watched this? For the, uh, first the first time, time I saw it I was sixteen. Nice. So, uh, and then I watched a lot in college, and then once I start understanding what my dad was trying to show me, then I was like, holy shit! You yeah. Know? So. How about you, Daniel? When did you see this for the first time? Uh, I actually didn't watch this in film school. Uh, we skipped this, which was kind of a bummer. But I didn't take the horror class, so I think that's mm-hmm. probably why. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched it after college. For me, this is kind of dopey. I'm a, I'm like a lifelong student. Like if if I can, I would love to be back in school because I love Same. learning. And so uh, I went down this rabbit hole when I lived abroad, where I was reading an actual like international film textbook, just like reading a chapter a night like taking notes and then like watching one movie from each chapter. So I watched Night of the Living Dead like pirated on my laptop in like <laughs> the like rural Peru which was like pretty good uh, and then I went back home and finally got it uh saw it on like a bigger screen on like my home TV and that's when it like finally kicked in cuz the first time it's more like just like a textbook reading but the yeah. second time was like the emotion, the intensity, like everything about it really like landed. Um, and this was probably like my third time, uh, and I had a copy. I actually own a Criterion copy because I kind of figured out this is like important. Um, I, I went through a short Criterion phase, off topic, but like I, I was buying like <laughs> movies. I was like, this is this is historically significant, and then I was like, I don't fucking watch like I don't watch some of these, so I kept. <laughs> I got rid of half of them, but Light of the Living Dead was the OG. I will go up to bat for. I'm like, we own this. We're never getting rid of it. I will show my kids if I ever have them someday. Like, it's just something I want them to see, and they're gonna be like, Grandpa or Dad, this movie's so lame. I'll be like, Shut your, sit your little ass down. You're gonna like it. Slap them. Uh, yeah, it's it's crazy how like with these types of movies. Um, I think I felt the same way before we did Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where there's there's a couple of movies that 
you know have popped up on the watch list for this podcast where i kind of like prepare myself i've like seen it before and i prepare myself to watch it again and sort of like take it with all the folly of you know the era in which it was made of being you know either you know sort of half shambled together sort of you know kind of like a little weak in some parts um but this one just like texas chainsaw massacre surprised me so much in like the depth of it and not only like how not sort of like campy it was like how mm-hmm. everything is so like i mean it, it's also like i mean we'll get to talking about Dwayne Jones in a second, but like the gravitas that like he, he adds to the movie mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how it's, there is a, um, as I was watching uh, like interviews of George Romero and stuff for this, that's when I discovered that there is a stage play version of night of the living dead. Oh. Yeah. And it's actually, and it kind of clicked in my brain. I was like, yeah, this does transfer to stage really well. It's a very theatrical movie in many sure. ways. Sure. Um, both in like the, you know, the length of the, the dial, the monologues and the, you know, the quality of the, the sing, sort of basically a single set. Um, and then the way that the, the characters, all of them are sort of these like idealized forms of characters. They're mm-hmm. all tropes that are kind mm-hmm. of like establishing what we will then recognize in zombie movies so much later on yeah. um, as being reiterated over and over again, if not by Romero himself, by other people yeah. remaking either his movies or putting a new spin on the same sort of ideas. Um, I want to go on record too, that I think, had I okay, I'll say this as a privileged white person growing up in the suburbs, <laughs> I don't think I would have got the significance of the ending until I saw it in my early twenties. Like, yeah, it would have probably fallen on deaf ears. Like it's, the whole movie, it's, I, it's hard I probably would have walked away like this doesn't make any sense. Uh, why would they do that kind of stuff? But I am glad I saw it when I did to kind of come at it with like this movie needs to be respected, and so that made me like, all right, I gotta take like I not super serious but like i gotta listen pay attention and like really observe it and i didn't know the ending so it was like truly gut-wrenching when Mm -hmm. i found out what happened i i was like it was like watching it for the first time ever for me i had no idea what was gonna happen yeah it's definitely film i can't watch over and over just because there romero has gone on record and it stated that the intent of this film wasn't to uh, cover racial relations and the construct of racism within America, but this film is littered with it. It it's is inextricable. A, yeah, it the movie is the construct of racism in America, and I mean it derives from so many things, right? I mean, if you think about the history of filmmaking and black people within filmmaking, you think of the first kind of Hollywood blockbuster in our in our country, which is Breath of a Nation, D.W. Griffith, and how black people are portraying that film and how the stereotypes that still haunt us today was portrayed in that film like you know us being lazy or us being inherently violent and also like our uncontrollable lust toward white women that you know that trope fell into the next part of kind of like horror filmmaking actual horror films where you didn't see us in horror films but you saw monsters that had these strange features to them that are related to people's uh you know um stereotypes of how we look like mm-hmm. big lips big eyes you know um example like king kong of course right his whole thing lust over a white woman you know the fly the big buggy eyes dark skin and then also the creature of the black lagoon you know big lips you know strange lust for white women you know and that falls into like the next stage where you know we're actually in the films but then like we fall into this trope of like being the sacrificial negro in the films right so like all that falls into kind of the black construct within horror films. And I say all this because like Romero 
you know, he's saying his intent wasn't that. And it's like, there's no way that he's like a history buff when it comes to horror films. There's no way he looked at those things and did not go like, hmm. In his interviews, he's so coy about yeah. the way he sort of approaches, like, the story of how this came to be, right? He says, like, he reiterates, like, over and over again. He's like, yeah, we wrote when we wrote the script, we didn't conceive of the lead being a black man. We didn't actually write that into the script. We thought he was just going to be a white dude. But then we cast Dwayne Jones to play mm-hmm. this role. And when Dwayne got the role, we're like, nobody else is going to have that role. Mm-hmm. And then as they're going, kind of like I said a second ago, right, they start filming that principal photography. And as they're going and trying to shop this around to get more uh, money for it so they can finish the movie, they're driving to like a screening and they literally hear on the radio the news that MLK has been assassinated. Yep. And then on the way, like in in the, the the torrent of that and the storm that it created, they realize, well, this has this is a black film now. We yeah. can't yeah. not make this movie. Mm-hmm. And like I say, yeah, it, it is interesting how he is. Like I think he what he's trying to do is he's not trying to take ownership of like and like give himself the credit for you know intentionally like making a, a willful decision to make yeah. a movie that was so like like even watching yeah watching this and un, and even for a modern movie it is so clearly like colorblind in an, in such mm-hmm. a fascinating way mm-hmm. where it's like not only is Dwayne Jones playing the lead but he's the only black actor in the movie in none the of the, movie. none of the zombies, none of the zombies are black yeah. no, and like nobody else is and so for him to play the lead and for his race not to explicitly be an element of the movie or be mentioned ever in it is so sort of like it's kind of like jarring when you're watching this and realizing this movie was made and released directly after the civil rights movement yeah. and it almost wouldn't happen again for like this type of movie for like decades yeah. it was so ahead of its time and so such an outlier at that time i always call cap on romero him playing coy with it because right. i think a big inspiration for him to even cast away was uh in 1967 heat of the night came out right mm-hmm. with Sidney poirier right so that movie came out a year before uh night of living dead but i say it because Sidney had you know Basically, for like you Gen Zers out there who don't know Sydney Poirier, I would think of Sydney being like the Will Smith for white people before Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. <laughs> so, but like more theater, you know, classically trained through theater and stuff like that. But he's known for like his roles of like their I, white people's idea of like how black people should be or accepted in their society. So, like, you know, Sydney was always, you know, handsome, but not too handsome. Mm-hmm. Smart, but not too smart to kind of overwhelm the white, you know, protagonist. And then also just this godlike forgiveness that he had for, like, the ignorance that he was put in, you know. The people will call him everything outside of his name. And Sydney will find some kind of way of getting them to understand not to be an asshole, right? And I say all this because with the heat of the night, all those tropes of Sydney and how white people thought he should be or how black people should be, he flipped it on his head, right? So basically, like, he denies basically this detective from, like, Chicago comes down to the South to investigate this murder, and he has to deal with this racist sheriff. But um, the thing that sticks out to me is that, you know, all those tropes were flipped on his head because Sydney was like, I'm not going to uh, hold my tongue, right? Um justified anger that he showed in there was like justified he you know showed that in the the biggest scene that sticks out to me that i know romero had to like look at is when they're in like the garden house at this mansion with this you know the owner and they're basically interrogating him and the owner gets like upset right now you have their sydney's character uh mr cop mr tibbs and then you have uh the racist sheriff and then you have like this black servant walk in there right with the, the pretty much the owner in the mansion and they're going back and forth, and I guess Sydney, what Sydney says, offends him or whatever. And he slaps Sydney Poirier, 
And without hesitation, Sydney slaps him back. And like everyone like clutches their <laughs> pearls, right? And like Sydney's looking at him like, you know, like the middle of his face, like, I wish you would try me again. I say all that because Dwayne Johnson, like hit Dwayne, not Johnson, Dwayne's character in The Night of Living Dead is that assertive, that smart, and well prepared for the world to end. And you also have to look at it in, in the lens of like the 1960s, 50s, and 40s. Black people had to be ready for things to pop off, like the world ending, because at any moment the world could be taken from them. So that's why Sydney's like character is so well adjusted and it makes so much sense to me in this film. And like for Romero to go like, who would be like the most well adjusted person waiting for the world in? Because originally Ben's character was supposed to be a truck driver who's like this grizzly guy or whatever. He's pissed that he's, the world's ending. But like you bring in Dwayne, like who's like ready for the world to end. And then like the three main characters, like, you know, uh, Ben's character, Ben, um, Barbara, and Cooper to me, right? Because mm-hmm. that shows like kind of this the state of America, right? You have, you know, and the three different reactionary sort of like mindsets that you can be in in this type yeah, of situation. In this situation, yeah. but it's all kind of like in this whole clot of racism because you have, you know, Ben is well adjusted black man, but you know, dealing with the racism and stuff there, so that's why he's so real adjusted for the world in. Then you have Barbara, who's this white girl who's just like survived this traumatic event, but also is like the poster girl for like white women and what beauty should be in america yeah. right blonde blue eyes subservient to like men and then you have coop good old cooper who's this angry old white guy or middle-aged white guy doesn't understand why the world has been taken from him and that he should be in, in, inherit like the the leadership and should lead everyone but he's a complete idiot and now he's forced to work on this black man and that's just like parallel of like what the world was going through in that time because also, integration just happened. So, mm-hmm. like, people, they're afraid of that. And Jim Crow laws were ending everywhere. So, there's no way Romero, some of the great, greatest films of all time, take from social society and what's going in society nowadays. You know, good example, I hate bringing this guy up, Jordan Peele, mm-hmm. Get Out. You know, when he wrote Get Out, he wrote Get Out, it was when Obama got elected, right? Yeah. And that, like, oh, Obama got elected, there's no thing, like, there's no such thing as racism, right? There's no way I'm giving Romero more credit to it because it's like there's no way you can avoid those things. Well, it's like as soon as they cast Dwayne Jones, like they had to know like when you once you start filming and knowing how the movie's going to end and knowing how it's going to progress and how that character is going to behave. Because it's like when you start watching this movie, like the whole movie set up and it's set up, you know, like a classic horror movie would. You have who you think is a couple at first, but it's a brother and sister, sister. <laughs> like going to visit, going to a cemetery to visit their dad's grave. And then, you know, the chaos ensues when they encounter their first ghoul, their first zombie. So for the first 10 minutes of this movie, you're following this white woman who you assume is going to be you know the damsel in distress for the rest of the movie this is a classic final girl situation you're going to watch her for the rest of the movie struggle and then fight against this outside th- terror and then all of a sudden 12 minutes into this movie this black guy shows up, up suave as fuck he knows what the fuck he's doing <laughs> yeah. and he immediately starts solving problems and it's like holy shit that's what this movie is now yeah. and this is his movie mm-hmm. and it's fucking it's mind-blowing how just how well executed it is and how also like like I said, those final scenes are, are fucking jarring too because that is something I've forgotten watching it this time when they switch to doing like the still photography mm-hmm. at the end of the movie mm-hmm. and it essentially looks like they're portraying like a, a much more horrific event. Mm-hmm. Um, it's clearly deliberate. Like there's, yeah, oh, yeah, it's like, and so I yeah, I think you're right and it, it's, it's interesting Romero's like sort of public, you know, projection of that but the dude's been around like for a long yeah. time and so I'm sure he's been like he knows, like can you imagine like the racist white audiences of the 60s going oh, and seeing this shit. in the theater, <laughs> seeing this actor, seeing this black actor like manhandle like a yeah. white actress and stuff and yeah. then like also talk down like the idea 
you can be the boss down yeah, there. Exactly. I'm the boss up here. Exactly. That's got to be fucking Ron DeSantis' worst nightmare. Yeah. Like, he literally probably has wakes up in a cold sweat thinking about that line from this movie. I mean, think about that line, though, right? Yeah. So think about, like, just How much power, like, power. how much meaning that has. Yeah, like, slavery, right? We <laughs> yeah. went from calling them masters to, you know, boss. Boss, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then for Dwayne to literally be like, I can be the boss up here. You can be the boss down there. That had so much more meaning to what, you know, audience probably take, took from that. And, like... You you talking about the ending, right? With the still photos and stuff like that. To me, that was a horrific. Like that's why it's very hard for me to watch the film because it's like you know who's to say like if Dwayne didn't peek through that window, if he was white, would they have shot? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then immediately once he's dead and they throw him on the pile and stuff like that, it goes through these photos which resemble photos from actual history of black history of people being lynched and burnt and everything like that. There's so much more meaning to it. I was like, that's why it's hard for me to be like. Oh, Romero, you know, when he says, like, that wasn't his intent, is like, I think once they were in that world, and once they kind of realized, because this is also a film they were talking about, there was no script at one point, like, mm-hmm. it was kind of, like, improv, but, like, there's no way for me to, like, in my head, I'm just like, no, dude, this is, this is, like, the first black horror film to me, almost, done by a white guy, properly, whatever, but, like, there's no way around it, man, there's no way around it. Yeah. No, it's crazy, and it's crazy impactful because of that as well. Um, and that'll pop up again as we like kind of go through the plot. We'll talk about some of the specific scenes here. Um, yeah, so as far as development goes, uh, Romero states that one of the primary inspirations for Night of the Living Dead comes from Richard Matheson's 1954 novel, I Am Legend. Uh, so you guys have probably seen the movie, the 2013? Uh, the Will, Will Smith. Smith. Uh, Will Smith, uh, somewhere, <laughs> like somewhere around the, the 2000 knots and tens um, that came out, which was uh, an interesting adaptation of it, uh, for sure. They kind of, they changed uh, a lot of the elements of the original book. Um, but in, in interviews... Oh, put some respect on that name. It was also originally the Omega Man featuring Charles uh, yeah, Heston yeah. in like 1970-something. I haven't seen that one. Did, was that the, like the other... Uh... That's the original, That's original adaptation okay, yeah. of the book. Uh, I Am Legend is is also an adaptation, but it's like an adaptation of Charlton Heston's movie, which mm-hmm. is an adaptation of the book. Right, yeah, because I, I, I picked the book out whenever uh, we went to Mexico. I was, that's the one that I was reading through, and I didn't realize it was also like a collection. Like the I Am Legend portion of it is like 180 pages, and it's definitely like 150 pages. And it's like the longest of several like novella-style short stories, essentially. Um, but it doesn't fill up like the entire 300-page novel. Um and that book also, like, so Romero acknowledges the key differences between sort of, like, the ghouls of his movie and the vampires of Matheson's novel. He talks about how, well, Matheson wrote vampires into his book, and mine aren't vampires. They have different mm-hmm. rules. It's clearly a different thing. But it, a lot of the same functions of the monsters in the book um, ask the same questions of the protagonist that this movie does, and that, like, later... Um, zombie films are sort of asking of their audience, you know, these philosophical questions of like, you know, when when your friends and family become the monsters, and when they're turning into the enemy, and the idea of uh, of isolation and being. In that book, the the main character spends so much time uh, ruminating on his relationship with the people outside and how um, how they've changed. One of the key moments from that book that I don't think I've ever actually seen like implemented in a movie is where like he goes like his wife gets sick and dies from the illness that's spreading, and then he goes and buries her, and then like he wakes up at the, in, in the middle of the night to see her like knocking on his door because her revived corpse has like come to like find him again, and there's like all these questions about. The relationship that he has with these now, you know, vampiric, like, ghoulish things that are wandering around and trying to kill him and pursue him. And then eventually the whole conceit of that book, which is that um, at the end of it, he realizes that 
this, this all these others now have formed their own society outside of him and have learned to adapt to this new world and now he is the you know the outlier and the monster to everybody else because he's been going and and annihilating them in the middle of the day um but this this movie too it like asks some of those like foundational like philosophical questions of being like if, if your brother turns into a monster like can are you able to kill him or like and the 90, 1990s one with tony todd kind of does that too where like one of the very first conversations between tony todd's version of ben mm-hmm. uh and the version of barbara in that movie is like asking her you know do you know him do you know any of these people mm-hmm. and it's like they're not your friend they're not your you know your brother anymore they're not your mom or your dad um and in this movie like the idea of like the little girl popping up at the end mm-hmm. of the movie and fucking murdering her both of her parents yeah, yeah. in like a gruesome way um yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Hey, it's Travis. Uh, just jumping in here in the middle of the episode to say thank you for listening. And if you guys like what you hear, please feel free to tag us on social media at Scary Sunday Scaries. Uh, it's one of the best things you can do for the podcast. It really helps us get more followers uh, and interact with you guys. So we hope we hear from you guys soon. Thanks. I like that you mentioned that we think they're a couple and then they're brother and sister. Because I've seen this movie at least three or four times yeah. at the very start. And every single time, because I take a little, I always like, you know, you forget certain things. I like open on them. And I'm like, aren't they? It's kind of weird. I don't understand. <laughs> oh, now I get it. Well, they tried to clean it up in the, the the remake in the '90s by giving them both glasses at the beginning, so they're really like, yeah. oh, distinguishably. Oh, they're you know, related. In the '90s, though, they stick to those fucking driving gloves. Like he wears yeah. like that's the distinct <laughs> character uh, choice for Johnny, the brother at the beginning. Uh, and it also has, I think, you know, the the, uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, I think, is homaging this, right, with their whole thing with uh, Janet. and Because, oh, um, yeah. like, yeah, they, the characters look pretty much, like, very, very similar um, at the beginning, of, at, throughout that movie as they do at the beginning of this one. But, yeah, that opening scene, so, like, we get that very, very first zombie, I guess, like, of, of the kind, like, on film, um, just kind of, like, wandering around in the background as they're visiting the cemetery. And then Johnny playing, like, a prank on his sister and being, you know, the whole line, the, they're coming, coming to get, get you, Barbara. Um, starting in a cemetery, too, was, like, interesting to me because of how many other movies start in cemeteries from, like, also Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. Uh, yeah. was the one that popped to my mind. I was like, there's something kind of, like, re- like fascinating about, you know, we start in, like, in death's bed to, like, begin with and then, like, kind of as setting the, uh, like, the tone or the, you know, the background for having a movie about death. Yeah. Um, Places you're not supposed to be. Yeah. I also, but I don't know. Like, I love cemeteries, though. I think they're like one of the one of the most romantic dates I've ever had was in a cemetery. I was uh, like drinking a bottle of wine in a cemetery when I was like sixteen. Yeah, I don't know. Hey, Daniel, what am I thinking? Uh, God, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, I feel like we're both kind of judging Travis a little bit. I love that you said that, like hanging out and like. Fucking cemeteries? Isn't that like illegal or something? No, and drinking wine—that's the part that got me. I don't know if it's actually illegal to do that or not. Uh, I think as long as you don't Travis like. This is a Romeo. If you don't mess with like stuff, it's okay. Because then you're just like hanging out with like you know you're having respect for the dead. You're you're hanging out with the presence of death and uh, and and appreciating your own mortality. This is for my homies. Jesus, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's really yeah. Hey, like. <laughs> The way I see it, like, he picked up like a really nice red wine. Yeah, just a little bit, like a little bit of a like an Elowan Pinot Noir, just like dumping <laughs> out to uh, to let the let the let the dead enjoy it too. Um, the beginning of this movie also makes me like think of an alternate universe where every zombie movie that comes after this is all part of a long bit that Johnny is doing, where everybody is in on it and they're just like fucking with Barbara um, throughout the entire like universe of zombie movies. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know that. But yeah, that first ghoul, like the they're they're all slow, and then through the power of gravity, uh, Barbara manages to escape from uh, the first couple of zombies uh, and run off into uh, the abandoned house. I call that the white girl scramble. <laughs> that sounds Mario like Mario a- once described. He described like a similar, like a larger concept known as white luck, and uh, <laughs> I can never unthink it. And so now I feel like if like a white person's like succeeding, I'm like, ah, yes, the old white luck is is finally kicking in. The Italian, particularly, like, is <laughs> a, a pasta. <laughs> there's a little bit of a parmesan on top of it. Oh man! Yeah, oh, uh, yeah. People couldn't tell. I was just I was hand gesturing over my Zoom call. <laughs> so yeah, it's an audio format, Daniel. Um, yeah, they make it to this house. Uh, so this is this is in uh, Pennsylvania, right? Like, which is also where Romero went to college. He went to college in Pittsburgh. Um, so this is like it's filmed in Evans City, I think, in Pennsylvania. Um, this is another house that I want to eventually visit, along along with like along uh, like the uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre house. Um, yeah, so Barb explores the house. Uh, as she's exploring the house, uh, she hears outside somebody approaching. Uh, so uh, our our main character Ben shows up uh, and fights off a few zombies with a tire arm before he makes it inside. Um, and this kind of really commences the entire section of the movie where Barb is like kind of utterly useless. Um, <laughs> there's also a couple of like nuggets in this movie that I forgot about, uh, and like watching this time that kind of set up some story elements that are happening off screen that I think like I, I had never considered before. Um, so initially, also she wanders up the stairs and finds that dead body, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which and then like the idea of the blood like dripping on her hand and her like freaking out about it, and that kind of was like the inciting incident for her being traumatized for the rest of the movie docile yeah right <laughs> yeah she's like just t- like plunged into hysterics for like the remainder until she kind of like she gets a little bit of energy when she tries to help uh helen later helen yeah. cooper mm-hmm. um and then like gets taken out by her own brother uh eventually and i guess a kind of a poetic way i mean um, he said it, they were coming to get him get yeah her and yeah he did. <laughs> um but i guess we're we're to be led to like we're led to believe essentially that there was like an attack at this house and then like that's where like all the coopers got there and everything and where uh the daughter initially got bit uh and that dead body is like hanging around up there as like the the leftovers from whatever zombie attack came previously um Um, but yeah, in like that initial scene too, there's like this super terrifying moment, which actually like caught me off guard where, um, the zombies are running around outside and Ben is fighting them off while Barbara is still inside. And then you just see that one zombie kind of like appear out of the darkness uh, in the background. And I'm like, Hey, Romero can do some handy candy work, (laughs) camera work every now and then. Um, overall, like what is your like general opinion of like the, the cinematography of this movie Uh, knowing that it's just Romero himself just you know, the funny thing about this movie is, like, it's almost shot like a documentary. Mm-hmm. So, it, I mean, kind of the creative choices that he used in it, I don't know if he was particularly like, oh, we're trying to make it, you know, this creator. I think he was more about, let's capture it. But also, you got to think this was shot on an Aeriflex 35 and an Aeriflex 16. So, I mean, they're not really long mags of film, so they kind of had to make those choices quickly. But I would say the choices that he made in it were, at that time, I mean, if you're doing film on 35 and 16 on that budget, like, you got to give them props and it being almost like documentary kind of style that kind of fits within that story because yeah. it's almost like, you know, uh, war of the worlds kind of thing. People couldn't really tell, like if they would have stamped at the beginning, like based on true events or something, like people would be like, Oh, this might be real. Like, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. So I think he did. Man, it's fine. I mean, Gotta give them props. It is, yeah. That also makes me think of something like that. It didn't occur to me until just now where it's like, it's kind of filmed like, 
the, I think the other reason this also works as like a stage play is that it's almost filmed just like in real time, yeah. like and it, you know cr- like chronologically, obviously. Um, so there's something about that where there is like a documentary style to it, like almost like you know like Toby Hooper. You know, we'll do this later on too yeah. with, with his films, but it is. Uh, yeah, it, it happens like beat by beat and like pacing wise kind of feels like for, for a movie that happens in one place, it still has a lot of forward momentum, though, yeah. um, especially once we introduce like the rest of the characters. Um, uh, I definitely like that. Like you guys mentioned documentary style, but I was reading about how like a lot of critics have interpreted this as like part of the Vietnam War era, like mm. influence. And so saying like part of the selling point of the horror of this is that audiences are already trained to, to watch hor- horrific things on television mm-hmm. through news broadcasts. At the time period, and so Romero, whether intentionally or not, I, I suspect not, because like Jabario said, like you have very little time to make decisions and very like many decisions to make. But if he was steeped in that language just from like observing it and growing up in it, because at that point, you know, you couldn't take your eyes off the TV. You had to see what the hell was going on yeah. in Vietnam. You know, he would have sublimated a whole bunch of that stuff and then spit it back out while he was shooting. And so it's just like fascinating, I think, to see like the cyclical loop of influence where like. He was probably like, you know, had watched a lot of this, used those techniques both for expediency and because it was like an easy from the hip like decision you could do, then turning around and influencing, you know, like thousands of found footage, like the idea of found footage itself is part of what makes it so like fascinating. And um, it also so ties I think into that, like, they, it's very Vietnam era. Yeah, because like, you know, Civitis was supposed to be on this film doing the makeup effects. Oh, yeah. Oh, so but that. he actually went to go find Nam. Vietnam so like and to go be a photographer like a documentary uh, photographer so like I think that's a cool kind of correlation like back to it like. which is crazy to think about and then like him showing up in uh, Dawn of the Dead of and the Dead. like later on and the, the role that he would play not only like on the behind the camera but also like on like in camera yeah because he directed then, the, the remake the yeah. 1990 remake so he's directed that yeah, so, yeah. The, and then that remake is the main element of that remake is they make Barbara a lot more tolerable right like we said, at this from this point in the movie forward, whenever she first encounters that zombie on the inside, and once Rain sh- shows up, she's kind of just like relegated to the su- rest, like the side of the screen for the rest of the movie. Um, but in the remake, the ni- 1990, at least they give her some agency, where she's the one who kind of like pushes the group forward. She like picks up the gun and starts shooting at the zombie. There's like, a weird bit, like bit part in that movie where like they're trying to prove that you have to shoot the zombie in the head to kill it Mm -hmm. and she shoots this one that's like in the window it's this dummy that's like flopping around (laughs) in the window she shoots her like three times in the chest and she's like is it dead yet is it dead yet and then she finally like pops it in the head and like god damn barbara like this is a very different barbara from the 1968 one and then the the other difference is that they make uh harry cooper's character just absolutely intolerable insufferable in the 1991 to 11 on this one yeah in this one he's like you're like all right you're annoying but you're yeah. just kind of like a 1960s like white dude basically and then but then but I, if you go through like go through like our litany of episodes we've done for this series yeah. and there's always like these are the tropes of the genre yeah. being exactly in front of our very eyes yeah. like the idea like ty burrell's character in dawn of the living dead the Zack snyder remake is is literally a one for one of of you know the the original and this and this night of the living dead and so it's like fascinating to me too i i'm like such a i love the the lore about it is like we really should go back and watch these original movies because you're watching this like being invented it's like watching someone paint an like a, an infamous painting for the first time ever you're like holy shit this is like the first the very first yeah because there's so much stuff that gets set up, set up in this movie and it's also funny like 
it, I always find it interesting, like the uh, like the natural forms or like the purest ideals of those characters that get sort of presented in this movie. Because it's like you know we have the classical like protagonist and antagonist, you know, in, in storytelling. But in this movie, and a lot like those uh, Cabin in the Woods movies too, the idea of like you know you have your like damsel in distress, you have like your leader, and then you have like your you know sort of like selfish uh, like bad guy, and then you have like your innocent but like muscle that's going to help, yeah. but like die very quickly. Yeah. And then his romantic love interest, like whenever they take that truck and they drive it off and it fucking explodes, <laughs> it's yeah. exactly the scene from the 2003 Dawn of the Dead, yeah. uh, 2004 Dawn of the Dead, whenever that girl goes to try to rescue the dog across yeah. the street. And I'm like, God damn it, this Judy. Dumbest decision I've ever seen in horror filmmaking, but that's because I'm not a doll lover though. So I, yeah, there yeah. you go. Um, so like in that in the next couple scenes, Ben starts fortifying the house, and Barb recalls like her encounters with the zombies. Um, and Barb goes into like a, uh, he and Barb both recall their encounters with the zombies, and Barb kind of goes into her hysterical state as she kind of tells the story of the scene we just saw like twenty minutes ago. Um, and in this scene too is one of the instances where I I find really fascinating is when Ben is del- delivering his monologue about his experience at um, Beekman's Diner and about you know getting the truck from there and basically describing op- a scene that happens off screen that will later kind of become to symbolize like or reflect our like mental image of zombies um, the idea of like the horde of zombies encircling the diner and him like barely getting away and sort of like describing the, the, the acting qualities and, and like the, uh, you know, the, the ideas of these zombies and as monsters that will kind of, int- we will internalize in the culture and then carry forward over the next, you know, 50 years uh, of zombie movies. Um, cause that, that monologue is actually like kind of really beautiful. It's weird. It's yeah. also Dwayne Jones too. Yeah. It's like, cause he's a, so we didn't kind of talk about this before, but he's also like, a theater professor like he goes yeah. on to like you know he teaches at nyu for a couple of decades there's this really awesome he he was very like sort of mysterious in his public persona like deliberately because he wanted to have his just like his own space he's a theater guy um but there is one interview that i was listening to of his that is like a weirdly like soothing interview like it's one of these like they uh they replayed it on bbc radio or something and it was an interview they did back in like 1988 with him um talking about like yeah his experiences working as a professor and then you know having the legacy of donna or uh, night of the living dead but never really sort of like taking ownership of it like he mm-hmm. didn't even have a copy of the movie until somebody came and asked him if they he would like to go do a screener to like raise money for an event and he had to contact george romero and be like hey can i get a can i get a copy of that to yeah, borrow yeah. and george was like yeah here you can take this one keep it it's yours yeah. um but throughout that entire interview they have like smooth jazz playing in the background <laughs> and it's like just like him fucking chilling like you can tell he's smoking a cigarette like on mic and stuff and yeah. like God, this is a cool fucking interview. <laughs> um, but yeah, then he delivers that monologue in this movie, and it's like he he kind of is painting the picture of what we will then know as zombies, like for the rest of of all time, essentially. Um, his idea of like characterizing them flipping over a truck and then swarming him, um, and he's like, you know, there were there weren't tens, there's twenties, and uh, maybe a hundred of them now. Yeah. Um, and I I don't know, I found that really fascinating. Uh, Which was kind of a cool concept for like early ghouls slash zombies that they had some inkling of intelligence left to like go after because even you talk about even like with the young girl picking up a tool to like killed her parents yeah you know what i'm saying that was something interesting about this movie is the zombies are weirdly intelligent Intelligent, they're tool using they start picking up rocks to throw them at the window and they're like busting out the headlights on the car you're like 
All right. Yeah. It's like the um we have we didn't cover we're not gonna cover it in this series, but we'll get to it eventually. But Return of the Living Dead, uh the eighties one where it's like the guy the zombie getting on the radio and being like, More, more braids, braids. <laughs> send more braids. Yeah. Um this radio broadcast though. So like all that happens, uh Barbara Barb gets sent into hysterics, uh, and then uh Ben kind of like knocks her out because she's being annoying, and then she goes and takes a nap on the couch. Um <laughs> Don't don't go past that. Just go. Let's rewind that for a little bit. Trick yeah. start tripping. Ben's like, nah. Slaps her. And then she takes a nap. That's essentially what happens. He basically he basically knocks her out with like one like with like a punch essentially because oh, uh, she starts like, like screaming laser at him. in the couch. Yeah. Like, go to sleep. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. <laughs> He's like, all right, this problem solved itself. I'm gonna go do something else for a minute. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it, what, while she's taking a nap on the couch, uh, this uh, this radio broadcast starts, right? So, like, and this is kind of where we get most of the exposition about the zombie outbreak that is also iconic. And it kind of reveals all of the details uh, and sort of starts introducing the rules um, of zombie lore that, I can, you know, will become ingrained within us uh, for, for the longest time. Um, the, uh, the broadcaster tells of uh, people seeking refuge in a church um you know, to seek salvation and stuff as the zombie horde is uh is is ravaging the countryside and it, the thought occurred to me that I, w- I really do want to see this movie uh we talked about this in 20 this in 28 days later uh when we did that episode as well but the the idea of like a whole giant group of people all clamoring into a church like uh, almost like a midnight mass style and mm-hmm. then like you know seeking refuge as the zombies attack from outside i don't think i've seen is there a movie instance of of zombies attacking a church well, there's a bunch of people in it. I couldn't think of one off the top of my head. Ooh, good question. Other than the 28 Days Later one where they're already in there. In the church, and then, yeah. like, yeah. Um, but Nothing comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't think of one. All right, well, put those, 10 pages, put those 10 pages aside for later. We'll get back to them. <laughs> um, but then also, the, the other thing about like, I want to talk about with these radio broadcasts is the, uh, like, the big – and the news broadcast that ends up sort of like tying into this later is this giant like sci-fi element to this original movie that uh, I always forget about, about like the – like what the explanation is for how the zombie outbreak yeah. began. Yeah. Um, because well, it was originally it, a no, sci-fi I, film. I, I don't remember this. It's Tell me. yeah. So it's the idea that like, so they say it in the radio broadcast, like they allude to it and then they kind of elaborated on it whenever they start doing, they pull the TV out and they have uh, the, you know, the, the mm-hmm. newscasters following around uh, the scientists and stuff. But essentially they say they're like, there was a recent satellite that was launched uh, to go take pictures of Venus or to go orbit around Venus. Um, and when the satellite was approaching back, scientists detected like extreme amounts of radiation coming from it, um, like more than were like that was than should have been possible. And so they say the scientists decided to, or the military, or the government decided to destroy the satellite, and that it released all of this radiation over mm-hmm. Earth, and then that was the cause for like so maybe the supposed cause for the the zombie outbreak occurring. Um, this uh, this Venusian sort of radiation or whatever, which kind of going back to like you know what you talked about as far as like what social issues are prevalent at the time. This is something that we've kind of we've brought up before. We talked about it in Dawn of the Dead briefly, and then also in Twenty Eight Days Later, um, which provides sort of like two different examples of how global sort of like geopolitical fears uh sort of are reflected in zombie movies in particular um by their sci-fi elements and by sort of like the fears that are clearly 
being put that are internalized by like the public that are being put on display in these types of movies where in this case it's like you know in the midst of the space race right against russia and while we're f- sort of like in our very in you know the in the infancy of the stages of of space travel and space exploration um and then that combined with like fears of nuclear annihilation and, yeah. and the cold war, all of those things kind of being wrapped up into one and then manifesting in this thing where it's like, Oh, it's, it's a global apocalypse that's happening. It's being brought on by us, you know, flying too close to the sun and playing with all these technologies and, and having all these, um, uh, technological sort of battles. The idea of um, Prometheus. Yeah, Which yeah, with, yeah, yeah, with the other superpowers. Yeah. Um, in this era, and then you know, in the eight, in the seventies uh, and eighties, when he goes on, just like Romero uses these to sort of identify uh, his problems with consumerism and like you know, just like economic issues, which then evolve later on, and Danny Boyle internalizing them in Twenty Eight Days Later, where he's sort of seeing, you know, very, very like sort of uh presciently like seeing the rise in you know surveillance but then also like global militantism which then spills over into the whole like 9-11 stuff and the influence of that movie um and like the iraq war and and how that kind of like plays into the inspiration for the rage virus and all this stuff um this is kind of like where it starts where it's like all right everybody's hiding under their desks and they're learning how to like take shelter during a nuclear attack or whatever and then this is like the product of that where it's like some vague scientific space threat is coming down and causing the world to end and everybody to turn to monsters and turn against each other. Yeah. Um, Cause I mean the original, this was supposed to be like a sci-fi comedy with mm-hmm. aliens. And I think like the first name, uh, once it kind of made that, I know why he kept the sci-fi element to it. Right. And that's probably like the best explanation when it comes to zombie, <laughs> like like radiation came from a planet kind of got corrupted throughout the earth, whatever. But like, yeah, it, his original concept for this, him and Russo's original concept was supposed to be a sci-fi alien comedy where, you know, aliens befriend these teenagers and drive hot rod cars together. That was the original idea. For yeah, this. he had that. What was it called? It was like he talks in an interview about the very first movie he made was called like Man from the Meteor, Meteor. or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah, I just found a mask and I put it on a dude and it was like a monster flick. Yeah, essentially. And it's like it, it's so interesting, I guess, because like I contextualizing this as being sci fi, the alternative would be like, you know, when we talk about sp- spooky or scary movies or like even uh you know zombie or like dead rising movies you know there can be like a uh, like a supernatural or like a like a religious component mm-hmm, to it mm-hmm. um something that's more like demonic or something but the fact that like z- zombies are unique and i think that like their their place in society is so much characterized by that science like that's science fiction element to it mm-hmm. where it's the the threat of like or like the the idea of like like hyper realism, right? Where it's like, all right, this technically happens in the real world, where and there's nothing supernatural about it. It's just science gone wrong. Yeah. Um. And that's like what's what's terrifying about it is like we're especially when you're primed for that mindset by living in an era and through an era that's already sort of suffering from the the internalized fear of science. And Think so. about now, COVID. Exactly. And then you watch these movies after COVID and you're yeah, like, oh shit, yeah. this is the exact same thing. What yeah. would it be like if all of your friends and families around you started exactly. turning into monsters exactly. with unexplainably, right? Exactly. Um, whether it's, yeah, whether it's uh, ideologically or they're zombies now. Um, it's just the... I have to add to, I've always thought the idea, like the term zombie itself is so interestingly loaded in so many ways, like the history of the word. Mm-hmm. And I've always been curious, uh, like, we mentioned all this, like, American, you know, westernized version of it, kind of the way that we see 
zombies, the living dead. They, in this movie, they I, I don't know if they even use the word zombies. No, no they I don't. I don't remember. Yeah. But they just call them like the the dead back alive. The, like, yeah, the, the walking, uh, the undead, the dead that yeah. the undead. Yeah. Um. But it's so fascinating to me too, because like the the term zombie is not necessarily one of like American origin. It's just American co- like we co opted that that word from another culture to identify something that is by now significantly far off its original intention. Yeah, and if you so like we I don't think we've talked about this in the previous two episodes that we've been like talking about zombies, but um we we said, you know, this is the the first ish uh zombie movie in like, you know, classical horror and classical film, but it's definitely not the first like actual zombie movie. Right. Um what was it 1930 or 1933 White, White zombie, zombie comes mm-hmm. out, right? Mm-hmm. Um which is much more harkens back to the era of like where the word zombie comes from and also even just like the idea of zombies. Um it's this idea that essentially comes from like the western sort of conception of like the wide like african diaspora and then like voodoo is is ingrained in that and is also where like the idea of like zombies come from in the first place because even within um you know very like like haitian culture like various other cultures mm-hmm. that where these uh you know histories and practices of voodoo like orig- originate there are also the myths of you know like malevolent shaman like killing people and then using reviving their corpses mm-hmm. through the use of, of, of magic to then use as like as undead slaves essentially um and then there are also like real life parallels where there's you know which is kind of stuff that's alluded to in other movies um for instance uh, west craven's uh, serpent and the rainbow yep. where they go to these um you know other countries and a, a malevolent force is is using chemicals to essentially turn people into living zombies mm-hmm. um but white zombie sort of addresses this in the first place right I, i've never yeah. actually seen white zombie before i actually have, have yes yeah yeah i mean you kind of have to look at it this way right in all in all cultures uh there is something almost like a zombie in every culture like i know like jewish community you, you like a golem or something like mm-hmm. that essentially you know they create them and then they become like their quote-unquote protector slash slave but it's like this weird thing with america using we, we were already prior to the prior to the idea of being zombies we were already slaves in this country so then once the movie industry was like you know start trying to include us like like oh let's make him like this terrifying zombie and it's not just you know white culture that did it we did it too like black exploitation films there's plenty of movies where we use voodoo to create you know these sub creatures that you know look like us but uh i mean why zombie <laughs> it's a watch it's, yeah. it's, it's i mean <laughs> like it's just one of those popcorn kind of films but you know you're just yeah, I know. It is what it is. I yeah. I also know that there's like a uh, there's a something from like 1914 or something as well where it's like a play or a, like a novel that was going to be adapted to film that also has to do with like similar elements where it's like um something someone going to like a foreign nation and basically it's kind of like the plot of Serpent and the Rainbow where they go and they um are dealing with this like malevolent force of just turning people into like living you know zombies or whatever um but that's this is like where the idea originates and then it evolves and the idea of Romero taking that um and then with inspiration from uh Matheson's novel creating this new idea where it's like it, it isn't just a malevolent force. It's just like, it's this, the idea, it's a contagion, contagion. the idea mm-hmm. that it, you know, this thing that spreads and is all consuming to the point where there it's inescapable where you're the, when you are the only one left, like there's nothing left. And so there's yeah. no, like there, it's hopeless yeah. in a way. It's, I mean, it's genius because yeah. I mean, to take the elements of quote unquote, the zombie, but also the vampire of how it spread and through affection, but yeah. then also being like ghouls because they're eating live fish. 
I mean, there was a lot that he put in that film, and I haven't done too much research to kind of figure out his, like the like the the idea of like them being more like ghouls and having elements of vampires and everything in there. But man, to put that all together, jumping jumble all that up to kind of create the modern day what we think was zombies is. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's wild, and it's also like I love the uh, we we've talked about uh, in our other two episodes about like the rise of fast zombies and about you know twenty eight days later inventing them and then that yeah. sort of being elaborated on in you know Dawn of the Dead and subsequent movies um, until and we the get, Last of Us, yeah, and Last of Us <laughs> uh, until yeah when you, like World War Z when you get like oh, you know, God, World War yeah. Z or Train to Busan when you get like the 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 wave like the horde horde yeah. of zombies where it's like not just the fast individuals or groups but it's like they start functioning just like ant piles where yeah. they're just piling on things um, but every like the one I'm actually. I'm really glad you brought up World War Z because I wanted to tie just a little bow around yeah. the whole discussion about documentary style. The original book is the same way. Is It's just mm. presented as like factual recollections from people who survived. And like the zombie war is over, like survived uh, the, like, the apocalypse. And then like the way that it's written is so impressive. We just kind of laugh because the movie adaptation, you're right. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's like the idea of spectacle with zombies has grown so much that you need yeah. to have like literally thousands on screen in order for it to feel like powerful and overwhelming yeah I and mean, that's kind of how army of the dead was too with like like zach Snyder is pushing that boundary again of like yeah how do we how do we make this even scarier like what what is the next level and it's like all right zombie tiger yeah zombie tiger <laughs> robo zombie intelligent king robo zombie alien like they fucking yeah the alpha from that movie um but also i mean like like k zombie uh horror films like trainer busan yeah, trainer busan was next level like not only are they fast but they're like fucking like they're like general grievous they yeah. just like climb up walls like spiders and <laughs> yeah. shit and, and kingdom too flips. like kingdom yeah. on netflix that one and then there was something else that came out recently i can't remember it but like, yeah i i, I enjoy like it seems like uh korean horror when it comes to zombie films they're taking what we did and mastering it oh yeah and it's just like it's like many things thing. in korean like <laughs> film and horror which uh might be kind of a series coming up here soon uh so as far as like the evolution of the zombie and the idea that all those elements are introduced here it's it, it is fascinating and like even just the rules like you know you have to shoot it in the head and they eat people mm -hmm. um they're going out pursuing flesh and that's why this radio broadcast is so fucking special too because it's like them going through and basically like laying out rule by rule by rule like how everything <laughs> Jeez, starts yeah. yeah and then until we finally get like the final reveal on the rule that it's like the, the infection is spread via bite right mm -hmm. um because they reveal later on that like the uh, so the, the the rest of the crew is introduced uh here shortly uh, after barbara and like Dwayne like fight off like some more zombies like the some people come up from upstairs and that's they introduced uh the coopers harry and helen um and then the uh, the couple tom and uh, judy um and then there's the daughter of the coopers karen who is downstairs on the table because she's been uh she's been wounded but they don't find out late till later that she was bitten by one of the zombies <clears throat> and then eventually like they implement their plan um do you want to talk about this fucking truck rescue there's there's so many things that are happening here that like bring me so much joy from I've always wanted to like make a bunch of Molotov cocktails and just yeah. like throw them off the top of yeah. a building. Like, yeah. That's just something I've not gotten to do yet that I've just like I'm sticking to and I'm hoping that someday uh, in our current state of the country you may get that chance. I might get my opportunity, man. I need to move to France, dude. Like that's a, like we'd have a fucking ball oh, over there. Yeah. Um but yeah, like the plan is basically right. So like they meet uh, Mr. Cooper and the whole like like platonic dialogue discussion about whether to go into the cellar or stay yeah. upstairs mm -hmm. happens. Um, that in and of itself, I feel like is the 
is it isn't it kind of like as i was watching it right like i think on my first rewatch like when i had like was kind of stoned and i was like sort of like internalizing all of the philosophical elements of this movie <laughs> and <clears throat> this this conversation about do we stay in the cellar or do we stay up in the room and like or in the living room and try to keep the windows boarded up is i feel like the perfect encapsulation of everybody's sort of like knee-jerk reaction on how, how to handle mm-hmm. these apocalyptic situations it's do you hide and hope that it all blows over or do you actively seek out like you know trying to solve a problem and make and keep yourself safe at any cost and that's kind of like the problem they're presenting where it's like cooper is the like the cynical like you know version of that living out of fear and then ben is the active version of that the non-passive actor who sees that the only way out is to you know to solve problems right and that's what he says to barbara too as Mm -hmm. he's trying to like rationalize this and make his case um what do you what would you be do you think i sent you this did you by the way did you get that personality quiz thing i sent you earlier I did, but I was too scared to take it. I don't want to, like, officially <laughs> confirm that I would die in an apocalypse. I don't need to know if I'm the asshole. I don't want to know. I want to pretend. I just want to live in a world where I'm a good guy. Hey, it's Travis. Uh, we hope you guys are enjoying the episode. And if you guys have any suggestions for movies that you think we should watch or comments about the episodes, please email me at scarysundayscaries at gmail.com. Uh, we love hearing back from you guys, and we look forward to it. Thanks. Oh, you're the protagonist. Boom, son. I didn't get a protagonist. I got, uh, what did you get, Daniel? I'm the tactician, the that, planner. That's the one that nice. I got. What does that one say? Uh, you couldn't be less surprised. You've been planning for such occasions months in advance. You'll always find the, uh, the one who comes up with some bright ideas uh, to get to safety. Think on, thinker. I'm, I'm the Ving Rames. That felt very nice. I think. Yeah, that's vindicating. I, I would still die. But I would definitely at least pass on a lot of knowledge. Jamario is the protagonist. He's uh he's the badass protagonist. You are the badass protagonist. The zombie outbreak hits, but you stay strangely cool. Your secret, knowing it's not you, it's it's not you that fears the undead, but the undead who fear you. Take yeah, charge yeah. of that ragtag team of survivors and live through this ordeal. Hail the king, baby. It's, that's Bruce, for my boy Dwayne. Yeah, that's the Bruce Campbell <laughs> fucking answer there. Um, I want to go on record too. You would be you. You, you need a tactician. Like that's your second. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah your best mate. Good to know you guys. Oh yeah, I think we're both tacticians. I don't know if that would benefit us or not, though. I I'm tactician you. West Coast. There you go. <laughs> and I think we also have. I think I think Tyler would be a, a, a protagonist as well. I don't know. He's literally a medical professor. Not even based off his survival tactics, but he actually has like trade-worthy skills. Yeah, I, as a applicable human, skills. I don't... <laughs> I think I have a I think I have a minor moral like an ability to compromise my morals. I think I'd actually go further than I would like be comfortable with, but I I could probably take some people out that you would question me as a character on TV. Yeah, you I don't know if you uh listen to 28 days later, but you've probably you've seen it recently too maybe, but uh that's one of the big things about that movie um and Naomi's character in that movie is like just immediately killing somebody if they even show the slightest hint of being Mm -hmm. infected or like being weak or whatever. And it's like, there's, there's always an element of that. It seems like too, of not in this movie, surprisingly, like he like, it does, there's no character in this movie, I guess other than Cooper, Cooper would abandon everybody. Oh, absolutely. Um, That's kind of the whole conversation is like, 
this dichotomy between like he's using his child almost as like a shield, shield. right mm-hmm. of being like oh no i have my daughter i need to protect her and it's like yeah but you're you're not protecting her by staying up here mm-hmm. and that's when uh fucking ben delivers the sickest burn of all time where he says it's a shame she's got such a coward for a father or such it's, it's a shame her father's so stupid whoa fucking roasted him jesus um he caught those hands too from Ben too. So. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> uh because yeah, I digressed a lot, but yeah, the, their whole uh the truck rescue plan. There's like a truck outside and a fuel pump. Uh they've got keys that they found finally. So the plan is for like Tom and Ben to go outside and gas up the truck and then bring it back. So yeah, the idea of Harry Cooper goes up on the roof and throws Molotov cocktails at the zombies to ward them off so they can escape. And they run out, and then as while the door is cracked, Judy fucking decides that now, like like a fucking lost dog, dog. like she sprints outside <laughs> and also gets in the car. And things actually seem to be going pretty well yeah. up until the point that they they get to the gas station. And then you have to be very careful about the placement of a lit torch, mm-hmm. uh, it seems. You yeah, don't want to yeah. be just putting yeah. those things yeah. down anywhere willy-nilly, yeah. um, especially next to a fuel pump where you've just <laughs> shot off the lock and there's now gas just like spewing out next to the truck um so they set the truck on fire and then it takes off off. and tom and judy are inside of it and then not only that like they almost like managed to get away (laughs) until the very last this is like it's almost it's the the comical beat where you know her coat is stuck in the door or something as he's trying to get her out and then they just fucking go up in flames Flames. dumb ways to die isn't that like a challenge (laughs) dumb ways to die dumb ways to die (laughs) (laughs) uh but Dwayne makes it back inside, or Ben makes it back inside. But yeah. that is the moment where he like almost doesn't because Harry Cooper's like Close holding the door, the door mm-hmm. shut on him, mm-hmm. and that's when he beats the fuck out yep. of him. He's like, hands to him. <laughs> let him know. Uh, he learns real quick. Uh, and me being a protagonist uh, in my whole zombie film, I would have put those hands to Cooper quick. Oh yeah, I would put the hands to. I don't him know earlier. if it would have taken that long. Yeah, I yeah, was I was say. like, it'd been earlier. <laughs> uh, they uh, so as. Ben, Harry, and Helen and Barb try to regroup. The news broadcast reports, uh, they showed, this is where we get, like, the sheriff and the small militia being introduced, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and for how shitty the, the character of the sheriff is later, it, this whole bit part where he's just so nonchalantly, like, commenting on how the militia is going through and, like, taking them out. And he's like, yeah, they're they're all pretty slow, honestly. All you got to do is, like, knock them out or shoot them in the head if you've got a gun. Yeah. Uh, and then they show, like, the roving band of the militia, like, going across the countryside and taking them out. Um, my favorite element of this is like every time they cut back to like the like the posse, the militia group. Uh, there's like guys with like shotguns and stuff, and most of them have rifles. But then there's just the one dude who has like, a little <laughs> luger that he's just like walking around with, like with two hands on it. Um, just <laughs> clear that guy's not shooting anymore. I know. Yeah, they they just brought him along. That's not even loaded. They just like come like, on. Oh, right. When you watch it, it's like very clearly like a search posse. Yeah, and that alone has its own connotation. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, a bunch of like. Like the the county sheriff and a bunch of his yeah. buddies. Have They've all done been this before. Yeah. They've yeah. done this before. Even the imagery of like, especially later on when like the dogs are pulled out, right? And it's like them yeah. combing the countryside as like the dogs are pulling them along. You're like, oh no, this looks like a sundown town yep. or something. I mean, oh, it, that's here? why he's so common because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, we've been hunting down blacks for a while. So this is no big deal for us. Yeah. Which also ties to, I mean, Dwayne looking through the window and like, yeah. pop. Yeah. As it as it happens later, yeah. um, so they that's getting that gets uh, revealed, and then it's also revealed that uh, Karen, the daughter of the Coopers, was bitten earlier, uh, but they don't elaborate about uh, on that until later. Um, but this is also when sort of like the idea, like I said, there's so many scenes of this movie that function like a political theory exercise where the the other like the next sort of like sticking point between uh, Ben and uh, Cooper is the fact that like 
Cooper is telling his wife, I need to get a hold of that gun, mm-hmm. right? And it's like my mind spiraling again into these moments where you're looking at it like everything is played as a as an like an analogy for just you know society and crisis at large and it's like all right there's we're we're in the midst of of a crisis we're in the midst of you know an apocalyptic event let me take advantage of the, of this chaos to like seize power and seize like you know mm-hmm. the means of control which is exactly like what happens next where you know the the zombies begin attacking again from outside and as ben and Barb uh, are trying to like hold, you know, the window, the 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 Board bracing the on the yeah, the boards on the window shut. Mm-hmm. Um, the gun falls to the ground, and then Harry seizes that moment to go and grab the gun and uh, try to like you know take power away from Ben. And then in that moment, he ends up like, in, as a result of that, ends up doing harm to himself and mm-hmm. his family because immediately uh, once the chaos has died down. Uh, ben manages to wrestle the gun back from Harry and then proceeds to shoot him because you're like, all right, we're done with this motherfucker. Yeah. Like, we're tired of dealing with this problem now. Yeah. Um, you're now more than a liability. You're a direct threat. Uh, so he shoots Harry, who then stumbles down the stairs to discover his zombified daughter, mm-hmm. uh, who proceeds to attack him. And then... Uh, Karen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> then Helen gets away after Barb sacrifices herself to the zombies, essentially. Uh, she, go down, she goes downstairs. And then, man, this scene of like the daughter fucking taking a uh spade and just like going ham on her mom stabbing her that was like a i forget how gruesome that is it's, it's uh, gruesome but then like the, the the sound to it too i mean it's the, <laughs> just like sound design Jesus, is rough man. too God. it's a i mean this is eight years after psycho yeah uh, you yeah. know it, it feels like a direct homage to the murder in psycho but it's uh yeah it's rough yeah it's bad also, just to piggyback to, you know, when the, the whole fire, like, on set, like, people were actually catching on fire by accident. <laughs> <laughs> there was no, there's, uh, there's, there's no just union monitor, like, there checking to make sure. People were catching on fire <laughs> by accident. Nah, man, this is Image 10 Productions. This is fucking independent. <laughs> yay, yay. Um, but yeah, there, there's a brief moment, too. So, like, uh, chaos is ensuing, and... Uh, ben is kind of like realizing that most like almost all if not or most if not all hope is lost at this point um so he goes and takes refuge in the sh- in the cellar um as the zombies pretty you know basically take over the house uh and break through all of the fortifications that they built up uh and he goes down he goes downstairs and quickly realizes as you know zombie harry gets up i'm sure you know he, he relishes the you know the moment of of shooting zombie harry yeah several, like several times no and hesitation then, yeah then he <laughs> takes care of zombie helen as well as, as her eyes pop open after she's been stabbed to death um takes care of her as well and then there's like a moment of just like despair as he like tosses the chair off and i think that's the like you know the singular moment where you get Romero had the opportunity to show like you know the, the lone survivor in this mm-hmm. kind of situation mm-hmm. um, because up until this point there is still like you know the hope of collaboration and like working with other people and at least you're not in that desperate you know loneliness yeah. uh, at that moment yeah um, but then we get the end of the movie uh, the next day everything's cleared out right and then you know it seems as if the zombie horde is dispersed uh, and then you see yeah the the sheriff and the posse coming to the countryside um, Dwayne hears the gunshots and like the sirens from upstairs and then slowly like still carefully makes his way upstairs and then even has his gun like pointed like ready to shoot just in case because you can see the the care and trepidation that he takes like you know throughout this but then just unlucky enough I guess the one fucking sharpshooter and the posse posse, (laughs) just happens to be there uh, and takes him out from like across the field. Um, and then like we referenced earlier, we get these, like the, the still photography sort of yeah. like p- proceeds over the There's credits. There's another one for the pile. Yeah. yeah. And then they, when they toss him on the pile, he's put right next to the, uh, the zombie from zombie. the very beginning of the mm-hmm. movie. Uh, 
Um, and also, just to piggyback to you, like Barb dies in that whole confrontation of like her brother breaks through. And, yeah, she gets <laughs> sacrificed, and like yeah, it's it's her brother who like pops through, and she's yeah, she says Johnny, <laughs> <laughs> just it's still just not not all there. She's not damn you know, Barb, yeah, damn Barbara, damn it, Janet. Um, yeah, that's that's Night of the Living Dead. Uh, having watched it again today and having talked about it, I mean. I feel like I, my feelings haven't really changed about this before or after seeing it. I, f- I feel like this is one of those that just sort of uh, sticks in the repertoire and, and just needs to be there. It's a, it's a great, there's a reason that this kicked off an entire genre and that this filmmaker also has been constantly constantly, you know, contributing to that or was constantly contributing to that genre yeah. over the next couple of decades. Yeah. Um, and the big leap from this movie to like, you know, the next one to, to Dawn of the Dead um, only sort of like amplifies all of the the subliminal and like innate things that this movie has. But there's just this was that that, you know, that golden nugget. There was it was something special about this one that even like I said, the the sequel, the quote unquote sequel didn't really have um, of just, you know, like striking gold yeah. Uh, yeah. with what it was. It's true, man. The greats. It, it's like something I can't express often enough. I love having conversations with my friends about movies because they're always like, what have you seen lately? And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's cool. But like, if you haven't seen the OG, <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. you need to do that. And they're like, why would I go watch this old black and white film? I'm like, dude, the greats stay great for yeah. a reason. And like, Night of the Living Dead is five stars every single time. Yeah, it slaps. Uh, and like I said, the uh, I'm all, I'm kind of curious to watch that stage play now because of how, like I said, how well this seems to, like it, it would work for stage. Um particularly like the monologues like those are the golden monologues whenever uh ben is is talking about his experience like that's like the good one um because barb is is essentially just retelling what you saw like a few minutes ago um but him sort of like painting this picture of like what it's like to be a witness to these like crazy events even though they're happening off screen um that's the one that i think captures like the way that we're supposed to feel Feel. about like the way and the way you see these movies and the subtle you know exposition within that too and the feeling of that i mean it's yeah it's golden yeah definitely one of the best that's awesome uh have you guys seen or heard or or seen or watched anything lately that was uh cool it doesn't have to be horror it could be tv film you can go first daniel do okay i'll go first um yeah i've um because of lance reddick rest in peace uh started the wire up again so i'm like just into season one i'm about done uh i never made it past season one so i think this time it's gonna stick Damn. but that was that was like it, i know it just it's kicked so many things off for me like my, my wife and i quarantined last weekend and we just watched i made her watch every single john wick film in like a 24 hour <laughs> stretch <laughs> and it was i actually didn't think she'd take i was like she's gonna hate this but yeah. i'm making her do it like john Lance Reddick, like the man alone, is is worth every single piece of media he's ever been in, and she was like surprisingly into it by the end. I do think they get way better as yeah. the budget goes up, as the as the stunts get crazier. But like, we watched the third one, and I was like a kid in a candy shop. I was like, oh yeah, this is this is it. I haven't seen the fourth one. Yeah, I, I haven't made it out so bad. I know. I'm, I'm waiting to go see it this week. Uh, I'm on set the next two days, so I will reward myself probably later this week. Hey, but for now. I'm just doing, yeah, I've been watching The Wire, um, and I've been reading a ton. Um, the cat has been annoyed that I've been reading a ton. I've been reading <laughs> Lock and Key. Okay. Has uh, any, have you guys read that? The comic? No. You're doing the comic? Or yeah. Like the, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I've read the first. The comic. Yeah, I read the first. Couple I have of not. Issues. Joe Hill, actually. Yeah. Um, but fantastic fucking work. I mean, it's probably one of my favorite comics I've read in the last 
10 years. Way better than the sh- Netflix show, which is <laughs> I never saw the show. Awful. Yeah, the, the show's god awful. The comic is, like, firing on all cylinders. It's amazing how much this guy can get done in, like, so many pages. I'm like, this is, this is impressive. It's a whole story and then some. And there's, like, nuance and detail. Um, and it never feels like too over the top. I, I'm a big, big fan of that. And if you haven't finished it, like Jamara, you should you should keep reading because it gets it gets really good. Yeah, I think we y'all brought that up whenever we did uh, the Black Phone. Uh, yeah. We were talking about uh, some of his other work and stuff because that was something I hadn't read then, and I still haven't, and I should probably do that. Yeah, I, I've I've just gone down this like deep rabbit hole. My public library has like a thousand comic books, and I have a lot of Fuck spare yeah. time, so I've been reading like Paper Girls. Uh, I have series. a copy of Parker on my desk I need to read. Uh, and then, you'll love this, I actually borrowed a copy of Neon Genesis Evangelion. I was going to ask you, have you got any manga in there? You keep talking. <laughs> I, I, it's hard, though. They have all their mangas older, but yeah. it's like older and younger. So it's none yeah. of the stuff I like, and yeah. it's all stuff that makes me a little uncomfortable. I'm like, I don't want to read 90s schoolgirl manga. <laughs> so Neon Genesis was the one I pulled up. And yeah. man, dude, I'm reading Berserk too. And the art, oh, oh, art style is incredible. That is, that's my lifeblood, bro. When he passed, the author passed away, I was like, oh my God. I was like, I don't know if I want to live anymore. But yeah, oh. Berserk has been my lifeblood for the longest. The original anime I, anime that came out in the, in the 90s yeah. introduced me to the yeah, manga. Yeah. Crazy dark anime. Yes, too. man. It's, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, man. That's up there like with, like, for me with like Devilman Crybaby as far yeah, as like... Yeah. yeah. The 90s anime and manga is all just like... T- I don't know what it is. The art style is like so gorgeous. Yeah. There's so much about the... like the Especially like the, the manga. I'm loving all this pencil work. I, yeah. I like truly... It's like... It's amazing. And it's like hilarious all at once there's a little bit of like towing the line there's like fan service but it was yeah. never it never felt as bad then as it as it does now yeah. where you're like this is just like nakedly open yeah. fan service it's <laughs> very child's child's cartoon yeah he started uh before he passed away like the last i mean like four years of him doing berserk he went more digital to instead of hand-drawn um, which caused a lot of like conflict between people. It was still beautiful, still beautiful manga to to read. So, yeah, I, yeah. So I'm on. I'm just reading a ton right now, researching, working on some projects. That's all. Okay. Nice. Cool. Cool. You see anything lately? I mean, I finished Last of Us, of course. Nice. I'm one of those guys that uh, played the original game when it first came off off a of whim and was bawling like a baby in the first 20 minutes of it. Um, and then of course for years they were trying to figure out if they were going to make it a movie or a show and then they finally decided to make it a show and it was a it was the right decision right decision to oh, do yeah. that. I want to go on record Jamari and I have been in contact about this since the casting announcement oh, we, yeah. we talked about this like <laughs> oh, way man. back when they announced oh, yeah. it he he sent me the casting announcements for Bella Ramsey and Pedro Pascal, and I'm going to call you Let out right go. now because he was like, he was like, no way, this makes no <laughs> sense. This is terrible casting. It's not going to make sense. I was like, dude, it's Craig Mason, like putting you out there. Trust the creators, yeah. like let them let them do their thing. Dang, you're not the Come only on, person man. that hit me up Come about on, that. Man. Like, like, hey, how you feel now? Hey, hey, Jay, hey, listen up. What do you think about this now? I'm like, dude, I was completely and early wrong. Yeah. Hey, it, is, yeah. Takes, it takes a big man to admit when you're wrong. Yeah. That's so okay. we need to do like a full Last of Us recap. We've kind of, we've referenced it a couple of times over the last several weeks as the episodes have been released. Um, but yeah, that's the whole thing is like if you 
feel like you need more zombie stuff, listen to our episodes. Uh, and I'll you should call me for that. You know how much lore I have on The Last of Us. I've been oh, following yeah. it from day one. Yeah, we'll do like maybe we'll do like a special thing for Patreon and just do like a recap of of the uh, of the series, like an hour long conversation and every Ooh. episode. Oh, I have to a... do this. I'm I'm so sorry. I don't, I don't want to derail us, but I had one shout out. I saw yeah. uh, How to Blow Up a Pipeline this week. Oh fuck yeah! I went to I went to an early screening for Mario. Yeah. Uh, that shit was tight maybe really? one of the best movies of 2020 the first good movie of 2023 i've seen so far because it is intense word it's like every every time you cut back to them like building a bomb yeah it's as like as intense as it you're just like on edge the entire time huh. and they do a really good job of telling like it's kind of a high story kind of a crime thriller yeah and so you kind of go beginning to end from just the scene of them like doing they blow up a pipeline surprise surprise yeah. But there's flashbacks layered in throughout the story, and each flashback completely changes what you just saw, and then like sets up a new way to feel tense about what's happening next. Gotcha. So it's like answering these questions, like, "Oh, why are these eight people all here together? Like a country redneck and you know two punk, you know semi homeless anarchists yeah. and you know a lesbian couple. Like, what do these people have in common? Why are they blowing up a pipeline? It's yeah. as much a question as like how to do it. Yeah. And the movie does a really good job of making you care about each one i could i just sorry i just couldn't get away without mentioning this because it was probably the first movie i've seen this year that i was like i was blown away i think i think smart smarter film watchers will see like the twist or whatever like big reveal they'll see it coming a mile away but i personally doesn't change my perspective i think it's amazing would recommend nice hell yeah nice i do love you missouri Uh, Uh, I think the, the I gotta other, stop recording all these things. I know, I'm, dude, I'm like, I have nothing. To, if the government's <laughs> listening, I have nothing to do with this shit, bro. Uh, the other show I watched and finished up was uh, Swarm. Oh uh, yeah, dude, I'm only on episode three right now. Don't yeah, say anything. Fucking intense, man. Dude, Billie Eilish is like acting debut. Bro, yeah. she fucking kills it. Surprising. I, she kills it. But yeah, that I mean, was that makes sense. Like, I mean, she's a I mean, not not all pop stars should be actors, but like yeah. some of them, it works. Yeah, like, she's solid. In yeah. It, so yeah, I watched that. Being a, a Donald fanboy, do you want to uh, give like I I don't know if we've talked about this before, but do you want to give like a summary of Swarm, like a like a, a synopsis, oh, or not a, not a not like of the plot, but like the premise. The premise is basically like a super fan. Super fan. Basically, I don't know. I would say how modern day people are obsessed with their favorite superstar and a person that's not quite mentally stable dealing with it. Yeah. So I mean, that's the best yeah way to without giving any nuggets away. Yeah. There's like there's like a there's like a Beyonce analog in the yeah. movie, and then one of her super fans is like going off the rails, like yeah. in her in the depths of her obsession with this one particular star. Why did you ask me to do it? That was fucking perfect. Because you were just talking about it. <laughs> but You're um, the one that brought it up. Um, I would say uh, the cool thing about this is that is they took clips from like things that actually happened with like Beyonce, but also people like her beehive and yeah. like certain events and tied it all into. Cool, this man is ribbon so it's cool i love show. it they do say the bay hive is is like the most active fan base it's like whatever yeah, you do I don't piss it. them off like yeah, yeah. you can piss off a lot of different fan bases and they will go after you but like apparently the beyonce club is like they mean business i mean the only yeah. thing that yeah. rivals it is black twitter but even then the b5 is still stronger yeah um yeah do you see anything else i've seen a couple of bad horror films like what I don't want to say one because it's Houston based, <laughs> and um, 
it had a certain actress come back and kind of had some sparks, but I don't want to, I don't want that smoke. So, uh, <laughs> but I, I did watch, I watched, I watched a couple bad horror films. Um, I've been, I've been trying to figure out a way to get some screeners from South by Southwest because there's a couple horror films I really would love to Man. get all of. Yeah, I think so. Did um, Evil Dead Rise debut yeah, at South by? Right? I think was it South by or Sundance? No, it had, no, it had to be, it had to be South uh, South by Southwest. Yeah, uh, I've been listening to the non-spoiler reviews for that and it's been getting some praise. Dude, I mean, every little, every new little nugget and clip I see of it, it's just yeah. like, man, it's it looks like it's going to be the scariest movie that comes but they, out this year. Well, that's the thing. Like you know, the movie I talked, me, you were talking earlier, and it, uh, uh, talk to me. Right. The, oh the, yeah, that, that sounds one, fucking awesome. That one they're saying like, yo, this one's. They were like saying basically, this is what Evil Dead wanted to do, but right? Didn't pull it off. Yeah. So I'm uh, if I can get a hold of that one, it'd be great. But it just got picked up by A24, so it's gonna be, it's gonna be on the ground until like July. So but. yeah, there's a whole uh, A24 article that I want to send to you, Daniel, for our midweek conversation later because it's like somebody kind of did a breakdown of like what's you know on in like on the horizon for them, and it's. Man, like it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting couple of years. I'm excited. They're taking over. Bro. Yeah, they're like from indie like you know studio to they're they're fucking like th- this Oscars fucking yeah. season. Yeah. It, oh my god. Yeah, they're they're dominating. Um. Yeah, those those both sound awesome. I haven't watched anything lately. I've been watching fucking zombie movies. Like, yeah. <laughs> I watched uh yeah I watched Night of the Living Dead. I watched the 1990 Night of the Living Dead. I watched uh all of the I watched the Dawn of the Deads. I watched you know all the movies relating to this podcast. Yeah. Uh, so if you've listened to the podcast and you enjoy these movies, go watch them. Oh, uh, <laughs> one more. Um, it's called Gannibal. Oh yeah, you recommended this to me. Yeah, I sent it to you. Yeah, that show is fucking amazing, man. Yeah, talk about Hulu. more foreign horror kind yeah. of stuff, man. This That's, is J horror, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's really good, fucking cool. And J horror has fallen off the map for me for the longest because it's become more comical than anything. But Gannibal is it? It's based off a of manga, and I've been trying to get a hold of the manga, but it's not hasn't been translated into English yet. But yeah. the, the show is amazing. Hell yeah. Um, well, fuck yeah. Those are some good recommendations. Uh, so this week we uh, put sort of like our, we hit like the climax of our night, our uh, zombie series. This is a mini series, so it's only four episodes um, with the OG, The Night of the Living Dead, the movie that kind of started it all. Um, next week we're hitting another uh, zombie movie for to kind of tip, put a bow on this. Uh, it's not quite the, you know, um, I wouldn't call it like the uh, the granddaddy of zombie movies like Night of the Living Dead is, uh, but it's one. It's definitely one that I sent to you, Daniel, that we're going to cover uh, later this week with uh, with Tyler. Uh, do you know which specific one I'm talking about? Uh, is it is, is it Leprechaun Two? No, <laughs> we should be missing. We should have Leprechaun Two. It'll be Juan of the Dead, uh, which we'll cover. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. We're gonna do Juan of oh, the I Dead. I love that movie. Which is gonna be a great. Uh, it's a foreign language. It's a Spanish zombie movie that is gonna be uh, really, really fun to talk about. So, uh, if you enjoyed this one, uh, watch that movie and come listen to us. Talk I about own. Next week. I want to go on record. I own Juan of the Dead on DVD. Oh shit! Like, you have a physical copy. Out. That's fucking awesome. I did. I, I had to bail on it eventually because it, it got scratched too much. But I would oh. always. People always watch like Shaun of the Dead, and I'm like, okay, now check this one out. Like check this out. <laughs> Every time I'm like, oh, you don't have it? Like, I got you. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm excited for that one. It looks like a blast. Like, it looks like a really good movie, actually. I don't know. 
Um, it, it's so, pretty funny. Yeah, so we'll check that one out. Uh, hey, this uh, podcast has a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash scarysundayscaries, you can support the podcast uh, and get early access to episodes and join in on community posts with me and all the other hosts. Uh, if you want to follow us on Instagram, interact with, interact with us on social media, we are at scarysundayscaries on pretty much everything. Um, even if you want to follow me personally, I'm at TravTheGuy. Uh, if you want to follow Daniel, he's uh, is it DG Papas at DG Papas, DG underscore Papas. DG underscore Papas. Sorry, I thought I had memorized by this point. Uh, if you want to follow Jamario and see all of his fantastic cinematography updates and uh, screenshots of the most beautiful shots from your favorite movies, it's it's me underscore Mario. Yeah. Uh, go. Are watch- you worried about uh, like? Are you worried about random Mario fans like? Just destroying your Instagram once the movie comes out. I can give, I can give two <laughs> shits. I can literally being being a guy named Mario and growing up in the '90s where Mario was God. He's, and I've hearing, been through that. I've been through it. So whatever <laughs> they can say won't hurt me. Uh, but yeah, watch watch Juan of the Dead and come hang out with us next week and listen to us talk about it. It should be fun. Bye. See you. Sunday Scaries.